0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Today, you have it in Jeffersonville, Indiana at Fright Night. Also, CTW running Hobart, Indiana today. So you have some choices out there. Go check out your local independent. Without further ado, I want to welcome our guest as we continue with Funny Hall Month. He is a stand-up comic, but also a big fan of pro wrestling from the 90s to the mid-2000s. Jared Bedard, thank you so much for being with us today.
2: Yeah, Jason, thanks for having me, man. How you doing?
1: Doing all right today. Uh, since today's your first time with us, obviously, I will start you with our traditional first-timer question. Yeah. What got you into watching pro wrestling?
2: Uh, I think as a kid, like, Early on, I was one of those, like, Hulkamaniacs, like, eat your, uh, uh, eat your vitamins and say your prayers. Uh, can I swear on that? Like, is it, is it okay if I like, use, like, blue language? Is that all right? We try to
1: keep a 13 ish but sometimes people slip, so go 13 ish
2: That's what I need to know. Okay, okay. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, yeah, just, I mean, man, I grew up, a, a you know, a big fan of the Hulkster, and then, uh, uh, you know, as wrestling kind of evolved in the in the mid-90s into the 2000s, uh, kind of fell off that train and um, <clears throat> kind of lessened to, like, the superhero-y stuff of, like, the, you know, the, the, the 80s and the early 90s. But, uh, um, yeah, it would have been the Hulkster, man. <laughs> Point blank.
1: Now, the era of wrestling that you watched primarily... We have seen several of those wrestlers enter your other world that of stand-up comedy, guys like Mick Foley, Rob Van Dam, Jake Roberts, all have become stand-up comics in recent time. Why do you think that is?
2: Uh, one, I think these guys, uh, you know, you could only do that to your body for so long. Like be in the ring and like really feel that. Like Mick Foley's an interesting example for a guy who uh retired, I believe, like pre 2010, but then had come back a couple of times. Um, I it, it, and I think he's been like on record saying like, "Hey, it was for money, you know, whatever." Uh, but then you know he he had written a couple of books and like I'm sure he was doing like tours for his book, uh, and probably still enjoyed like just engaging with people. So. I can't think that none of these guys don't have a story to tell because I mean like you, you hear some like the behind the Titan Tron stuff that, uh, that went on in the past. And uh, um, I'm sure everybody and their mom probably wants to hear about it. And uh, man, there's something about entertaining a crowd full of people that uh, um tough to beat. <laughs> and it's, I'm sure it's not the same level that these guys experience, you know uh, you know, doing like sold out shows like Madison square garden or uh uh, what have you, but uh, um, I think it's just chasing that feeling, ultimately.
1: Speaking of entertaining the people, you do that as a stand-up comic. What got you into that world?
2: Uh, man, my, my, my best friend growing up, uh, his dad introduced us to, like, we were watching, like, Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor, uh, and I can remember as like a little kid, uh, like you know, you have like a like a nightmare, and you go like sleep in your parents' room, you know, right, for comfort. Um, I can remember a number of times like my dad coming home from like working graveyard and turning on uh, HBO, and it's Andrew Dice Clay, like the one thing he enjoyed. Uh, many many of whose jokes we cannot do on this uh, on this program, uh, <laughs> but. Uh, just hearing my best friend's dad, like, belly laugh over, you know, Pryor and Murphy and, uh, you know, getting into, like, George Carlin and stuff when I was a kid. I mean, like, that I, – I think I always wanted to be an entertainer. I just didn't know exactly what uh, until I really started to discover, you know, um, stand-up comedy as a as a youth. Uh, then, you know, I was 21 years old, finally got on stage and uh, just never really looked back, so –
1: now did you often delve into pro wrestling for inspiration for the stand-up did you have things that you would see either done on television or heard on an interview that kind of sparked something to put in the stand-up routine
2: uh you know it's funny that you asked that not stand-up specifically but like I'm man, I'm working on a couple other projects like a couple of animated things, um, like over the pandemic, right. Like when everything was on like lockdown, uh, it's like, we can't go out and perform. Right. And like, you can perform online digitally, but it is vastly different. In fact, I don't know how, like I'd watched a couple episodes of like raw, um, with them, like in front of all those, uh, all those like led monitors right around the screen and, and no audience. They're at that, whatever that facility was in, uh, uh, in Florida. Uh, but, uh, it, as far as, like, other projects, I got into some anime and stuff, like I was saying, and, um, man, uh, as far as, like, visual storytelling, like, just, th- just thinking conceptually about, like, uh, you know, how, how, like, you know, a, every match shows, like, uh, a struggle between two people, two, two forces, you know, good and evil, typically, and, uh, um... I mean, these guys are, you know, incredible athletes doing amazing things in the ring, you know, uh, lots of, like, acrobatics and just, like, you know, you think about that on, 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 like, a visual level. And you're like, oh, okay, this is how you tell a story. And it never really clicked to me like that before as far as, like, writing and trying to, like, you know, tell stories that way. But uh, um, so kind of in that regard, yeah, for sure, for sure.
1: In the era that we have right now, I'd say in like the last 10 years or so, WWE has specifically hired comedy writers to help with their shows and uh, introduce the comedy aspect of it, whereas before it was wrestling people that would uh, pretty much format the whole show. What do you think of the advent of a comedy writer to a pro wrestling show do you think it has helped the product hurt the product not made a meaningful difference either way
3: i i
2: to be completely honest with you not having seen like i grew up in the james russo era of wrestling like that guy was such a prominent uh storyline guy back in like the 90s and early 2000s between the then wwf and wcw um and it was really like adult or quasi adult oriented um like I prefer that to be completely honest with you like more uh more grown up but but I understand like the you know the appeal to you know families and kids and like that's where like there's a lot more money available um and i think uh I think there's plenty of writers to do any of those things uh I don't know of any. I, I don't have any friends who have. Uh, I, I know. I know people who have like applied to to write for WWE, myself included. Because um, I'm, I'm like, you know, I could I could come up with storylines. What the hell, right? Like I could probably uh, help help design some of that and, and and craft that and you know help these guys execute. But uh, to answer your question, I think I I don't know that it's made a a, a ton of because I'm sure they're going there to do a job, you know. And, and I, I know a lot of comics are wrestling fans to begin with, so I'm sure that helps.
1: Now you mentioned applying to WWE for a position like that. Here oh, yeah. in Washington, where we are from, there's a lot of independent wrestling companies, some of them bigger than others, but there are several promotions. Have you ever given mm-hmm. consideration to reaching out to some of the independent level wrestling promotions and seeing if they were interested in what you have to bring to the table
2: uh you know i hadn't because uh, up until up until just a couple of years ago it, it, it me, me applying to the wwe was like probably seven eight nine ten years ago uh and it wasn't up until like um maybe four or five years ago that, that I really kind of understood that there's like these smaller wrestling promotions, you know, m- much, like, uh, the, 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 uh, oh my God, what became the WCW back the NWA, uh, Memphis wrestling, like all those old, like wrestling, uh, uh, uh territories, so to speak right back in the day. Um, so it, I'm sure then it probably would have been like a worthwhile, uh, a worthwhile venture for me. I don't know if I've got the bandwidth for it currently, but uh, uh I could certainly get out and, you know, go to some shows and actually like witness the product. I mean, that's that's certainly one thing, right?
1: Absolutely. And yeah. you're in luck, there's some not far from Tacoma where you regularly perform. So,
2: sure. Oh, yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you see, you should uh, uh you should send me some stuff, man. I'd, I'd certainly go to some live shows. Man, it's been a while since I've seen some like live in-person wrestling, man.
1: Absolutely. I will shoot you the dates uh there is wrestling happening within about a half an hour out of Tacoma, so I will definitely get you the dates oh, for that.
2: On, man. I think the last thing I saw live was WrestleMania 19, which was, you know, uh 2004 I think uh, I
1: believe oh three actually
2: or, or 03 yeah, yeah, yeah I was in I was in high school man yeah, yeah, yeah. so it was, it was quite a while ago so I am way overdue way overdue
1: for sure you mentioned WCW they were for a period of about a year and a half the top wrestling company in the world <laughs> uh, they Outperform wwe at oh yeah yeah all of the levels were you a big fan of wcw or were you more of a wwf guy or were you kind of the neutral watch everything type of guy
2: i was a big fan of the nwo storyline in wcw i didn't like anything really like i thought it was kind of that uh that like heroes and villains stuff of, 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 of yesteryear. Um, and that kind of fell out of style. So it was guys like, uh, you know, The Undertaker, uh, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, um, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, you know, the Hart Foundation, like all those guys in WWF at the time. Uh, I felt like those guys had such a better product. Um, and then Eric Bischoff comes out with, you know, they, they, they pull, you know, Kevin Hall uh, or uh, – uh, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall into the WCW, and they've got this invasion angle, right? That's um, something Eric Bischoff pulled from. It was a it was a storyline from I forget which uh, which outfit in Japan, but he was he had gone over to study uh, some of the stuff they were doing over there, and he came up with this storyline about you know these guys invading their business, <laughs> uh, and that really brought me in because it was like this guerrilla style of uh, of wrestling that was, you know, at at the time it's like, oh my god, you know, you have Hulk Hogan turning heel with these guys, um, and that sold a lot of tickets, man. Like, I feel like if you get people to hate you enough, you know, uh, the, the the reason we have the heroes that we have in wrestling is because we have really good villains. So guys like you know Ric Flair, you know Andre the Giant in the latter part of his career, you know guys like that. Those guys make all the heroes, you know. Um, so I thought that, uh, it was cool to see the bad guys kind of, you know, lead the pack, so to speak, as far as like the NWO went. So, um, that certainly drew me in, man. But it, I mean, it, it went stale, like you said, uh, about a year and a half, man, they had it, they had it going on. They were going to, you know, they they were beating, uh, the Monday night wars, you know, Nitro was, uh, Nitro was actually going to be an NWO program. Like that's what they were queuing it up for, um. They actually have set pieces of NWO presents Monday Nitro, and then Thursday Night Thunder was going to be the WCW show. So, like, there were all these plans in the works, and uh, um, by the time they were ready to to go with that, uh, they started to really slip in the ratings because, you know, there was the NWO Wolf Pack, the Red and the Black, and the Red and the Blue, the Latino World. Like, everybody was doing the NWO stuff, and it just became way too big (laughs) for, for for them to keep going with and uh. you know the the attitude era on the wwf side was like just just crushed everything in its path right
1: now in pro wrestling uh. they've had very few people make the big crossover from mainstream fame uh, like the wrestlers that achieved that guys like your Hulk Hogan's, your Dwayne Johnson's, your Steve Austin's very Mm -hmm. few have made it to what a lot of stand-up comics would consider the mecca Saturday Night Live I think Hulk Hogan and Dwayne Johnson are maybe the only two from wrestling to host. Why do you think so few wrestlers have made that transition especially the Nineties era when it was so hot.
2: Uh, that's a great question. Um not knowing a ton about the inner workings of, of Saturday Night Live, uh I don't know if it's the uh I the, the the problem is i think there's so many wrestlers who could do so well on saturday night live that i mean that's to to, to first and foremost i think you know you're you you present you know your uh in ring personality and uh um or you know maybe it has something to do with that maybe they just don't want to break kayfabe and like could could you see the undertaker mark Calloway, hosting an episode of <laughs> hosting an episode of saturday night live right that'd be a little bit different yeah Yeah. Um, so I wonder if it's something around, again, just protecting, like just in an effort to protect the business. Cause I mean, like you talk about a guy who, uh, lived his, his in-ring persona, uh, you know, Mark Calloway, um, like I hear stories about that guy, like, like even like people like running into him at like, uh, at at, at, like the airport and stuff. And he's still like very much in character, you know, not not breaking kayfabe, uh, so maybe that's something to do with that man. Maybe maybe people were reached out to, and maybe it was something like Vince and those guys at the top were like, "Nope, guys aren't going to do Saturday Night Live unless, again, like you're like Hulk Hogan's, you're you're Dwayne Johnson's when they've kind of moved on from from the business, so to speak." Because I mean, like Hulk Hogan was doing, you know, television and movies, you know, all the while. Uh, and then Dwayne Dwayne Johnson kind of left the business for a little bit, right? He was kind of in and out for a little bit and now he's mostly out. Um and then now you got John Cena kind of doing the same thing, right? But uh I don't think it's the last we'll see of guys kind of taking that path, right? Of just like you know, you build up enough uh build up enough like credibility and uh uh with with an audience and then you know, you start into other ventures and find out you're good at stuff. <laughs> So it might not be the last of, of of guys, you know, getting into SNL. But I think while they're active in the business, that's probably just not uh, um, probably not prudent for the in ring product that you have. You know, your 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 top guys on on television, other than doing interviews, uh, hosting a show like Saturday Night Live.
1: That well could be for sure.
2: Sure, sure. Now,
1: in both businesses, wrestling and comedy, there's a lot of crossover fans of people that enjoy both of it. As someone that has been in the business of comedy and has followed the business of pro wrestling, what do you see as some of the major similarities and some of the major differences between the two genres of fans?
2: Uh, I think. Well, s- some of the similarities. I mean, like, I think there's a lot of like. Oh, what do you think? What's that?
1: Oh, I was just asking about the the similarities
2: and differences. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah okay. so I, I think as far as like similarities, I mean, like, there's some underground comedians. Uh, well, I guess not underground. They're they're more, like. A, a guy like Doug Stanhope, if you've ever heard of him, I mean that guy has some of the most like dedicated uh responsive fans in comedy um and I think wrestling's a lot of the same way man I mean like you've got people that you know uh they, they've got uh the, they've got their wrestlers of choice that they that they love so much and um you know they'll they'll live and die or you know do or die by you know their favorite talent uh I don't know that uh, comedy fans. Um, well, no, maybe I mean maybe they're all a lot more similar now than I than I would uh, uh, than than, than one would think. I mean, like I was just at Tim Dillon uh, the other night in Seattle, man, and I mean, like it was, I mean, th- th- this crowd would have uh, <laughs> this crowd would go out and you know uh, flip over cars in the streets if he asked them to <laughs>
3: probably. <laughs>
2: Uh, so I don't know. I think, I think people just like what they like. And, uh, you know, um, in the information age where, you know, you, you can, you can get at these people, you know, you know, at with the click of a button at your fingertips, right. Uh, you know, the, the access to these people is so much more than it used to be. Um, so maybe more people are just dialed in and you're, it's, they're easier to follow now because you can kind of stay up with them like day to day instead of like whenever they were in your town. Right. So, um, maybe it's just the fact that there's so much access versus per, like, if you were a big Hulk Hogan fan, like you probably wouldn't know what was going on with him unless one, it was in the news or two, he was doing a show, uh, in your town or you were watching whatever, you know, whatever program he was on. So I, I think the fans are pretty similar, man. I, 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 I guess that's, that, that, that's what I would say in regard to, uh, <laughs> fans of comedy and wrestling. I think people, uh, um if you like the product you're you're dedicated to the artist, you know, perpetuating it, right?
1: Absolutely.
2: Now in pro
1: wrestling, if you're in the wrestling business at a higher level, uh, obviously there's some guys that wrestle just for their local promotion and so forth, but a lot of wrestlers get into wrestling a lot of times for the travel Uh, they enjoy traveling seeing different places it's not uncommon for your average wrestler to put on 4 or 5 thousand miles in a week in order to get to all the shows that they do as a stand up comic is that also kind of a lure for you to be able to travel and go to places or is it kind of a different thing as far as what you do
2: uh I think it's definitely similar in like the amount of miles and the money <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm being honest. I mean like you hear about the I I I I've watched so much like what I love now about pro wrestling is all these guys uh who are retired getting together and talking about the business and like kind of what it was like uh back in their, you know, quote unquote day uh like uh, you know, stone cold talking about like driving, you know, two, 300 miles a day to wrestle for like 45 bucks or something like that. And, um, living off of like potatoes and cans of tuna, <laughs> just like, um, cause the, the, the money for, uh, you know, when I, when, when I travel, it's typically as a, as a middle act, uh, you know, and I'm just kind of starting to get into the, the spot where I'm like, you know, closing out rooms and such, uh, I mean, the, the, the money's okay, but, like, you know, when you're closing out rooms, when, you, when you're a middle act, man, if you're not a headliner, um, the money hasn't gotten a lot better since the 80s. So you're doing, uh, like, around here on the West Coast, like, most gigs are, like, you know, five, six, seven, eight hours in between, and that's just car time, you know, because uh, there's no money for you to fly. Uh, so I, 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 I think we've got a lot, you know, in common with, that travel, and I mean, like, by the time you're to wherever you're going, it's just like, hey, I just want to work and go back to my room and go to sleep, man.
3: <laughs> like, I'm
2: not trying to really go out and party because uh, I'm just beat from being in the car, just having to be, you know, uh, driving the length of someone's shift at work to work that night the length of someone's commute. <laughs> you know, it's, it's this weird inverse, um, which, again, sounds like a lot like you know the seventies you know, and eighties in pro wrestling. You know.
1: Well, at this point, my co-host QT is standing by. I know he has questions to ask. Yeah, I'm yeah. Going to ask to him. Thank you, sir. So
0: Hello, Jr.
2: Yeah, QT. How you doing, brother?
0: I'm doing pretty good. How do you pronounce your last name, Bered? Bur- Bered.
2: Uh, Bernard, like uh, like Saint Bernard Ooh. without the N.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> even yeah, the Saint Bernard brings a grin.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Oh yeah, oh yeah.
0: I'm I see, only most, most people. That, uh, the, what's, that? what's that? I'm I'm only oh, saying that say. because I'm thinking of Saint Bernards on the Bugs Bunny show that have that. Uh, that thing on their collar that contains alcohol for uh, skiers that you know get lost. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. I think, I
2: think it's I think it's like whiskey or something, right? It's some kind yeah. of it's some kind of alcohol. It's some kind of it's, maybe it's grain alcohol, just something high proof, you know. Uh, yes.
0: Okay. Well, uh, Jr., if you could travel back in time, and you had uh, these three or four choices of comedians that you could see uh, this is if you could time travel, which one would sure. you pick George Carlin, Rodney Dangerfield, Richard Pryor, or Lucille Ball?
2: Uh, honestly, of those four, probably Pryor, man. Um, okay. I mean, I like what, I don't know much about Lucille ball. You're guilty. Right. Um, I was, uh, uh, I grew up on Richard Pryor. I also grew up on Carlin to be completely honest with you too. But I think, you know, uh, looking back in the, uh, you know, in history, I think, I think what, or what, uh, was doing, um, as far as storytelling and, 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 and how he got to people, uh, which just a, overall uh, kind of helped pave the way for a lot of the people that I love and respect now. Uh, not not that Carlin didn't. Carlin was a, a master of the English language, um, and you know probably one of the smartest guys in the room. In uh, Dangerfield, I mean, like I still I still will drop you know Dangerfield jokes. I mean, like nobody wrote uh, you know quick. You know, one-liner, quick hitter stuff just beat up the audience with stuff like uh, uh like Dangerfield did. But uh, Pryor just had had a way about him, man. That like I, I could listen to that dude nonstop for days and never get bored of it.
0: Okay, all right. Uh, was one of your favorite movies Stir Crazy, where Richard Pryor teamed up with Gene Wilder? In uh, well, what's in Stir Crazy, the movie about prison life, and being yeah yes, the- uh,
2: Stir Crazy was it? Uh, it was he- see no evil or hear no evil. Were there uh, one of them's deaf and one of them's I think I, I think Gene Wilder's deaf and then Richard Pryor is blind. Um, what I would have loved to see is Pryor in uh, Blazing Saddles with Gene Wilder. God, that'd have been great, but. Uh, um, yeah, man. I mean, like, low key, one of my uh, one of my favorite Richard Pryor movies was probably Moving, which is I think one of his like later. I, I think that was one of his last movies where he's you know he has to uproot his family to uh, from like you know somewhere on the East Coast uh, to, to Idaho, and just it's it's basically like planes, trains, and automobiles, but it's like moving, you know. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, great, great, great movie, man. About just like literally everything that could possibly go wrong, just goes wrong.
0: Well, wh- uh, do you remember the scene uh, where uh, Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder are in the cap- uh, prison cafeteria, and Grossberger walks in, and Richard Pryor stops eating mid sentence just to stare at Grossberger. <laughs>
3: uh-
2: not not it's been a while since I since I've seen it, man. But uh, I, I I mean I, I definitely a, a, a fantastic movie. I I don't I don't think there could be a better pairing back then. Again, of you know, just Gene Wilder in general. Uh, and, and, and in fact, one I got a picture of those two on my wall uh, that I'm actually looking at uh, right now. Actually. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Well, uh, one of my favorite scenes in that movie hmm. is where Richard Pryor is pinned against his bunk. He has his back against the steel frame, and Grossberger hmm. has a test to Richard Pryor. And, and uh, Grossberger leans in slightly, and you could hear the steel frame kind of groan.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and Gene Weldon sees him asking for help or mouthing for help. And uh, mm-hmm. Gene Waller Gene goes. I'll just kind of stand over here, out of the way. <laughs> but what <laughs> getting, I'm getting at is Grossberger was uh, in real life a, that big and that big of a man, probably around six yeah. foot hundred and ninety pounds. And actually, mm. he was a very accomplished. Uh, he was an accomplished opera singer, and he was a wrestler. Alternative. For the Dutch uh, uh, Olympic team, back in like 1988. Oh, no
3: okay.
0: Yes. Okay. He was a Olympic qualifier. He almost made it to the Olympic. And his name. Oh is wow. okay. Simon,
3: Yeah.
0: I, I think his name's is Simon Lilith de Jude. You can look that up afterwards.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. I said, I'll, I'll write that down. Simon, what
0: did you? Si- I think it's Simon Lilith. De Jude, I'm, I'm sure I'm Simon. wrong, but I'm cool. Lilith De Jude. I got
2: gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you.
0: All you have to do is do a, a Google search on Grossberger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I
2: was, I was just about to say I probably I probably
0: look up a, a Grossberger too. Okay, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Okay. All right. Well, Jr. You were talking to Signy earlier about your high school graduation class. Did you say you graduated in two thousand and three?
2: Uh, graduated in oh five, oh five. What was it, uh, oh, uh WrestleMania nineteen in oh three?
3: Whatever that early oh, okay. what
2: It was WrestleMania at uh, Safeco at the time, or T-Mobile Park now. But
0: wow, okay, that. That was the one where, where the A-train came down the ramp in a shower of sparks, the A-train, right?
2: Yeah, yep, 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 yep,
0: Oh, okay. Oh, well, I kind of like the A-train, yes. Okay. Well, anyway, yeah. uh, 2005, uh, let me see, 1995, 1985, what percentage of your classmates had the experience of using the payphone?
2: Of using a payphone? Oh man! Yeah, I definitely utilize a payphone a lot. Growing, up. I, I would. I was a. I was a one eight hundred collect to try to you know get a hold. Like I, I was definitely like part of that generation. Um, people my age, uh, probably seventy five percent realistically. I mean, like it, it's. It's wild to see him now out in the wild, like, you know, when you, when you just happen upon a paper and you're like, wow, like just a relic from the past. But uh, I'd say more than not, to be completely honest with you, probably the last generation to do so, really. That's true, yes.
0: I'm going to say probably okay. uh, the class of 2009 was the first class with less than half, 2009. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Just, like, okay. I, I didn't even have, I didn't have a cell phone until I was 18 years old. Like I went 18 years without a cell – like I've, I've lived more of my life without a cell phone than with a cell phone at this point. So, uh, I mean, you just, you just made do. You just made it work before, you know. But now we're just so connected to everything. Yes. When was the last time you
0: used a rotary phone, which Charlie Chaplin, the great comedian, yeah. used some – when was the last time you used a rotary phone with a landline? We
2: – Man, we actually had a rotary phone growing up uh our first house in Bothell, i I just remember just playing with it as a kid, like not understanding like i mean i could I could certainly dial a number for you if you needed me to on a rotary right now it would take a minute because 'cause it'd just be a gi a kick you know uh but it would have been like probably under five years old realistically, oh okay.
3: Okay. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, J.R., I have a couple quotes from comedians, and I'd like your uh, thought on these quotes. Are you ready for yeah, these yeah. quotes?
2: Yeah, bring All it on. Right. Man. Bring it on.
0: The first one, just because you got the monkey off your back doesn't mean the circus has left town. That was George Carlin. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> just, just a good... Uh, A a good quote about, you know, you you could be through, around, over, and beyond something, but that doesn't mean that everything's all peachy keen, you know what I mean?
3: Great way to put
0: it. All right. How about whenever you leave behind failure, you're doing good. If you think everything you've done is great, you're probably dumb. And that's by Lewis C.K.
2: Yeah, yeah Lewis C.K. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I like that. I, I like the idea of, again, like, if you – the the only way people really learn, I feel like, is if you feel stupid about something. Like, that's when you're really going to like, okay, I would like to never feel like this again.
3: So if,
2: if you're that arrogant to think that everything you've done in your life is so great, like,
3: yeah, you're probably not that
2: smart, I feel like. Every, every, every person in, you know, every notable person in history who's, you know, made a number of accomplishments has an infinitely higher number of failures associated with whatever they were doing. So they know the crushing defeat of, uh, of that feeling.
0: Yes. Oh, okay. That's good.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: How about, uh, let me see here. I got number eight written. that one. Okay. Uh, for fast-acting relief, try slowing down, and that was from Lily Tomlin.
2: Oh, that's funny. I haven't heard that before. Okay.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: it, that is
0: kind yeah. of a good place in this fast-paced world.
3: Oh, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, uh, I like it when you can make something kind of complicated like that sound like – really like, hey, just slow down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just chill. It'll be okay. <laughs>
0: Oh, okay. All right. The great Lily Tomlin. All right. How about mm-hmm. if life is fair, Elvis would be alive, and all the impersonators would be dead. Johnny Carson. Uh, <laughs>
3: uh,
2: yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, you're talking about a guy who uh, had quite a bit of a you know reference in a you know rock and roll and this music in general. Uh, the reason they call him the king, right? Yes. Elvis Presley. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, oh, yeah.
0: There were a couple of times where he
2: made his audience laugh a couple of times. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure. I, I, I think any good performer can kind of do, you know, in, in, any number of things that, uh, again, whatever, whatever, whatever the situation calls for, as far as like entertaining a crowd, you know what I mean?
0: Yes. Um, and uh, speaking of Johnny Carson, how did you like it when he brought on the Wild Kingdom guy with his animals? His facial expressions, like around know, tarantulas and orangutans, were were pr- very good. Johnny Carson's
2: facial oh. expressions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so you, t- you talk about an animated guy who, again, like you know, you got all these you know e- you know quote unquote exotic animals crawling all up you know all over the stage and just like uh you know. <laughs> sometimes it's just fun watching people be uncomfortable and like how they play in that moment. Right. And again, Carson, who's, you know, you know, dry enough guy, uh, fun, fun to kind of see him a little bit, you know, fish out of water, so to speak. Right.
0: Yes. Well, he had that opportunity, I'm sure to expound on, on his fear and, and trying to make himself look brave he kind of egged that on. He knew what the oh, yeah. he knew the audience would look at his facial expressions, especially. I think there was one where um, this Jim Fowler brought on an alligator. <laughs>
2: oh yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, 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 God, there you go.
0: Yes. Oh, Okay. All right. Here's a, a good quote. A bookstore is one of the only pieces of physical evidence we have that people are still thinking from Jerry Seinfeld.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's yep. I, I, I would agree, man. (laughs) Funny that in the, in the, in the information age, you know, what they call, you know, with the internet and everything and being so connected, it's just like, man, like, are we this dumb sometimes about stuff? Like we could all like get on board with just, Trying to find like, hey, here's things we can all agree on. Let's talk about that. Let's work our way out from that.
0: Well, in the cast of characters on Seinfeld, one of my favorites mm-hmm. was uh, George's dad, Jerry Stiller. How well do you oh, think yeah. Jerry Stiller could have done if he gave a WWE promo? <laughs> uh,
2: man, he's definitely got the pipes to do uh, uh, to do some you know some some promo work. So. Uh, I think Jerry Still would give a pretty pretty damn good uh, promo. Be completely honest with you. I mean, the the, the Festivus episode is one of my favorite episodes of Seinfeld, and just I mean, you talk about a guy who would just command the room whenever he walks in on you know on, on, on set on that show. You know, he between he and Kramer, but uh, um, yeah, I mean that's that's the guy. He's he's like a, a, a louder you know Jewish version of. <laughs> of of, of, uh, Jimmy Hart, you know, Mouth of the South.
0: Yes. Well, one thing Jerry Stiller was known for was he'd get into a line and then he'd kind of uh, hesitate. And a lot of times – there were several times where he forgot his line. Like, we're moving to Del Boca Mista? And he'd say it wrong and he'd have to do it
2: over. It was a lot of bloopers. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yep, yep. I love watching him crack up, uh, cr- crack up that whole cast. I mean, because the guy was a comedic genius, so. Yes. Like when, when
0: uh, uh, George, uh, um, he was trying to woo that pretty girl with that muscle car, and he somehow yeah. got uh, thrown in or, or was uh, at that police station. And uh, remember when uh, he was confronting Elaine, and he goes, you want a piece of me? You want a piece of me? Yeah. (laughs) Very funny, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. All right, here's another quote. Most people work hard enough not to get fired and get paid just enough money not to quit. George Carlin.
2: Yeah, yeah, obviously that's – oh, how true that seems to be. Yes. Yes, Okay.
0: And especially with this uh, kind of new phenomenon of massive people quitting their jobs, there's, there's a lot yeah. of people quitting.
2: Now. Yeah, you uh-huh. know, it, c- comparable to like you know the 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 plague in Europe back in the day. I mean, that was the uh, that was the birth of the of the middle class. Was it was you know the all the working class had died off, and there were only so few left, and then the rich were like, hey. We kind of want to go back to, and the poor were like, "No, you have to pay us more." To do that, uh, so they. That, I think you're seeing a similar thing now, where again, you know, so, so it, 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 and I believe it's mostly working class folk, uh, kind of more blue collar stuff. But uh, they're just they're they're done with it, man. Like they, you know, they they deserve more, and they're uh, they're out to
3: get it. So, yes.
2: Oh, okay. All right.
0: Here's one: as long as the world is turning and spinning, we're going to be dizzy and we're going to make mistakes. Mel Brooks.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a good way to look at life, man. It's just like hey, you know, that's like pencils have erasers, guys. Uh,
0: <laughs> now was Mel, was Blazing Saddles? Speaking of Mel Brooks, one of your favorite uh, movies, top three comedic yeah. comedies.
2: Yeah, Blazing Saddles, uh, uh, Young Frankenstein, Space—probably more more my speed when I was when I was younger. Uh, uh, Spaceballs, but uh, yeah, man, pretty much most of what Mel Brooks would uh, would put together, I could really get behind and just you know thoroughly enjoy.
0: All right, as you remember, Mondo played a, a significant part yep. in that movie. Yep. The guy that rode the ox into town and and he also punched a horse. Who are yes. your uh, three uh, WWE superstars that could have played Mondo in Blazing Saddles? Can you give us our, our top your top three?
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, so that's a great question. Uh, uh, Brock Lesnar for sure. Uh, As just your, again, a guy who kind of looks like, like, oh, yeah, he could punch an animal that size and and it would probably put that animal on its ass. Uh, um, Okay. Probably, uh, uh, I would say Glenn Jacobs as well, you know, Kane or Dr. Isaac Yankum, DDS, right? Uh, Okay. that's, That's another guy who is just massive. Um, I don't know if I'd buy Paul White, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, the giant walking into walking or, you know, riding into town on an auction. The guy, the guy was just an enormous human being, but, uh, I don't know, maybe Mark Henry too. That's another guy who's like, Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> I buy that. I buy that. Ah, uh, Mark Henry. Okay. Yes. Yep, yep, oh,
0: okay. Yep. I, I think he, I think that might be a good choice because as you know, A lot of times he uh, went around without a smile on his face and that grim look. But I did like his work at Sensual
2: Chocolate. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. God, there you go. God, yeah. Talk about a blast from the past, man. Yeah. Uh, He's got a scowl about him, man. He could have – that guy could ride an ox into town and and knock a horse on its ass. And I mean, I'd certainly buy that. Yes, and
0: and he also, if Grossberger wasn't playing, uh, or that Simon Lilith de Jude, uh, yeah, as Grossberger, if he was absent from the movie uh, Stir Crazy, in that uh, prison cell scene with uh, Richard Pryor and Wilder, I'd substitute Mark Henry in there.
3: Yeah,
2: so we could, uh, he could, he could play uh, M- many the heel and uh, um, in some of in yeah. some of these uh, older movies, <laughs> and probably do just fine. You know what I mean.
0: Okay. Very
2: good. Very good. All right.
0: Here's one. Accept who you are, unless you are a serial killer. Ellen DeGeneres.
2: Uh, there you go. Yep. Yeah. You know. I do like the Which idea means, of, again, like just it's self-acceptance, right? This, it
0: leads to the question, why in the Northwest do does the Northwest produce a lot of serial killers?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh... I think a lot of people tell you it's the weather, but I don't know. Maybe we just got lead pipes like everywhere else that Uh, maybe we're one of the the last places to get rid of them, right? So uh, maybe that or something in the chicken. I mean, who knows, right?
0: Oh, okay. All right. And the last quote, don't worry about the world coming to an end today. It's already tomorrow in Australia, Charles Schultz.
2: Yes. Yeah. They always look on the bright side, right? They're still yes. here, so we'll probably be okay.
0: Yes. Now did you ever see the comic strip where Lucy and Snoopy had a boxing match and Snoopy had a boxing glove on his nose?
3: Uh
2: no, no, okay, okay.
0: Oh, okay. You
2: might want to uh. Google search too. Yeah, yeah, there's another one for me, right, a little little bit more homework.
0: Yes, for some reason, Snoopy with a boxing glove on his nose was pretty hilarious.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, I bet, I bet, yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, all right, well, now, speaking of Blazing Saddles, another comedy that was uh, at least for myself and my top four was Caddyshack. How yeah, well oh, con- God, yeah, there you go. How well do you think George the Animal Steel could have done if he was on the set of Caddyshack? Uh,
2: I I think he would have done well, man. I think I think most wrestlers could uh, do a pretty decent job on screen, um, because again, they're they're used to selling, right? So all you're doing is getting on and selling, uh. I don't know if he would have been, like, one of, like, uh, he would have made a funny caddy, like, just even if it was just a background person, like, oh, man, who is that, right? Like, just, again, somebody running, you know, clubs around for, you know, w- one of the uh, w- one of the folks at uh, whatever that country, oh, God, I forgot what the name of the country club is, but, yeah, you're doing all right. Yes, the name of the, name of the course was Bushwood. Bushwood, <laughs> Bushwood, yeah, absolutely, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: You know, and I, I let me see, if if Caddyshack were a play on Broadway, do you think George the Animal Steel could do
2: best playing the gopher? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yep, there, yep. That's what I'll uh, – I think he could give a good shimmy to uh, some Kenny Loggins, you know what I mean? Oh, very good. Very good. Yeah, okay.
3: Yeah.
0: All right. Who would what WWE superstar would most likely play the part of Danny Noonan?
3: Uh,
2: feel me on this, but I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Chris Jericho. Whoa, Chris Jericho Chris would be like a good yeah, oh yeah, bring it on, Whoa. man! Wow,
0: okay. Who who which women wrest what what woman wrestler could play the part of Danny Noonan's girlfriend? Would it be Stacy Keebler? <laughs>
2: uh yeah that's, yeah let's go Stacy Keebler, right yeah 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 never a big fan of like 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 Sable or like uh, some so, some of those you know really really early like you know before the product really got became about like the wrestling and everything. Uh yes. but yeah man, I I, I think Stacy Keebler uh, I think she'd do just
3: fine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, okay.
0: And what what wrestler would play the part of Judge Smells?
2: Uh probably flair, man. Let's see, like, because you need a good villain. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, yes. you get flair in there, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Especially that part where Judge Smells calls Danny Noonan into his office and goes, "Danny, I've sentenced boys younger to you to the gas chamber. Didn't want to do it. (laughs) I thought I owed it to him." Yeah, exactly. exactly. Very good choice for a Broadway play.
3: Okay. All Uh, right.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, Jr., you've got your homework assignments. uh, Yeah. uh, uh, to look up Grossberger in the cell with prior and at this time mm-hmm. I'm handing it back to the sign guy.
2: Yeah, yeah, QT appreciate you, man.
1: Oh, okay. Very good. Thank you, QT. Well there. one of the things that pro wrestlers do to make a lot of the income they do from the business of pro wrestling is sell merchandise, especially at the independent level, it is Sort of the lifeblood for a pro wrestler's financial sure. situation. On the oh, yeah. comedy circuit, do you get a lot of comics that have merchandise for sale at shows, or is that something that's not really translating from one genre to the next?
2: Uh, yes, uh, man. The 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 phrase. And stand-up is like a a good t-shirt or a good merch game will literally change your tax bracket uh i i i mean it the some of the best stuff i've seen is like you know um uh it's just if you've got a shirt or a sticker or a magnet or something that like Uh, Is a joke that people can typically retell like that's that's apparently the way to do it as far as like stand up goes like oh yeah no I get to be the person to tell the funny joke at whatever you know social situation I mean like I, I, I see shirts like that all the time that just sell like hot cakes you know.
1: Well, we're to the last few minutes of our show, and I want to make sure there is ample time. If you have anything you would like to say to the listeners, plug and promote anything and everything you like, the social medias, upcoming shows, merchandise, your favorite barbecue place, anything at all, floor is yours.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So I am, uh, uh, I'm I'm at all the socials. So I'm at JR. Uh You can also – find my website is onlyjr.com. It's like only fans, only there's less sex and just more of me talking. Uh and and tasteful nudes maybe, I don't know. Uh if you ask nice enough. Um I am uh the the, the comedy club I work mainly with uh Club Comedy Seattle. We're up on uh, Capitol Hill. Um up on uh, 15th Avenue. We're 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 wicked close to reopening. Uh, we'll be doing comedy there, you know, four or five nights a week. Uh, you know, you can follow them at Club Comedy Seattle on all the socials. Uh, by all means, you know, follow them too. Uh, that, that that's kind of the main stuff, man. You can you can catch me on uh, on, on Portlandia. Uh, even though the show's over now, I was on a, a handful of episodes. <laughs> Um, or the, uh, the film, the dark divide with, uh, David cross, uh, that just came out, uh, earlier this year. Um, the director of that's got a new movie coming out called the United States of insanity, uh, which is about, um, uh, the insane clown posse getting sued over like some freedom of speech thing. It's the director's name is Tom Putnam. He's a great guy. Uh, definitely check that out too. But, uh, yeah just uh for for shows and stuff coming up uh onlyjr.com uh we'll, we'll, everything will be posted and uh, uh you know if you're at a live show I've got uh, I've got merch too I've got stickers and t-shirts so by all means come out laugh have fun and uh buy stuff afterwards cuz that helps uh that helps me out big time you know
1: Well Jerry it's been a blast having you here on our show during a funny ha, ha month we definitely appreciate it greatly and hopefully yeah,
3: we yeah. Will-
1: at some of our local wrestling shows And maybe you'll see us pop up At one of your comedy shows
2: Yeah, yeah, please, please do, man Please do And uh, by, by all means, send me some uh, some dates To stuff coming up around here, man And I'll, I'll be sure to check it out
1: Absolutely, you will definitely get the dates from me In the next little bit Fans, if you have not Give some stand-up comedy a chance JR is a very, very funny Ha-ha comedian So support him and what he does Also, get out there, support your local independent pro wrestling. We'll be back with you next Friday afternoon. We have Rich Abbott, promoter out of Indiana. And a week from today, we wrap up Funny Ha Ha Month with the Northman, Ernie Olson. So make sure you have plans to be with us. We'll talk to you soon. Everybody stay out there safely and support the local arts.